So yeah, when you work at a guitar magazine, guess what? People send you guitar albums. When I was full-time a guitar player, I think I got like, I don't know, probably at least two or three instrumental guitar albums a day sent over. And people will often ask you, well, what stands out? How does an album get noticed out of all those guitar albums? I don't know what the answer to that is, but some albums you just notice. That's the title track off Ha, Oznoy's first album, H-A, exclamation point. I think that hit our offices in 2005 and we definitely noticed. It was different, funky, with weird sounds and complex harmonies and cool grooves. He did cool twists like he twisted up Thelonious Monk. You know the jam, Blue Monk. Oz has a new album out, fresh off the presses on Abstract Logics, that great guitar label. The new album is called Asian Twists. Recorded live in Japan, I think. There's a cool story about who recorded it. I'll let Oz tell you that later. The thing I love about Oz, too, is he's also just a master sonic painter with that palette of effects. I was so excited to interview him for this. I mean, I've hung out with him before, interviewed him before, even done a couple of solo shows with him, like Double Bill in San Francisco at the Boom Boom Room. But when I went over to the house where he was staying, gotta give mad props to Steve Ferroni, drummer of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He was out of town, but he let his buddy Oz house sit, because Oz is from Israel, but he's been in New York for 20 years, and damn, does he not like those New York winters. He likes to come out to California when he can, when things start to get cold. But anyway, I digress. So I walk into the house where Oz is staying, and Oz is like, hey, what's up? I'm like, hey, what's up? I'm setting up the microphones. And Oz is like, by the way, you don't need me to set up my pedals, right? We're just gonna, you can just hang out or go direct, right? I'm like, fuck, yes, I need you to set up your pedals. I did actually say that too, because I'm telling you, man, I'm really passionate about the stuff he does with pedals. You're gonna hear what he does in the very first jam that we do. I'm holding a 335 through a little Cornford combo, and he's plugging his custom shop Fender Strat through his cool pedal palette, his pedal board, into a blackface Fender, tw- uh, not a twin, Fender Deluxe that I brought him. Brought him a little reissue Deluxe get a tone it's not his usual rig but he you know it gets the job done he'll tell you all about his usual rig and he's also going to show you exactly how he uses these pedals again if i haven't said so already my name is jude gold so yeah check out asian twists his new album on itunes and we're going to head over in the jolly guitar copter Also, check out our Facebook page, No Guitar Is Safe Facebook page. Put up all kinds of exclusive stuff just for you and me here. This is part of the No Guitar Is Safe Club. Also, if you're new to the show, there's just, you know, all the other episodes are still up there for you to stream or download. Starting with Joe Satriani, episode one, Brad Gillis, episode two, talking about his Aussie adventures and his 
Night Ranger shenanigans. I think episode three was James Valentine playing funk licks for the probably most successful guitar-driven band around at the moment, Maroon 5. They're like 26 million albums sold already. Billy Sheehan, the bass player, Guthrie Govan, guitar phenomenon. Nita Strauss from Alice Cooper's band. So many other players interviewed on the show. Greg Howe, Mike Scott from Prince, Bruce Foreman, Bebop and Beyond. Hope you dug it all. Hope you take something away from each episode. All right, enough said. Let's head over to our little jam session with Osnoy. Thank you. 
Man Oz. I could listen to you make all those crazy sounds all day long. <laughs> it's weird because your pedal board's getting smaller, but it's, it's still, it's still big. <laughs> but you're getting more and more sounds every time I see you. It's just a it, it's 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 a little smaller than my usual pedal board. I have two that are a little different. They're both big. Um, this thing is a kind of a I guess a compressed version of one of them it's i almost have everything i need here it's um maybe one or two pedals less than normal but i can get most of what i want out of it and with the line six at the end with a looper and all those weird sounds i can pretty much get everything out of it yeah it was it's so cool that each of these pedals does so many different things especially of course the line six m9 can yeah. you show us some of the sounds that you were just getting out of that like oh yeah well i've been doing this for a long time on the line six stuff i usually use the m13 the big one and the only difference is th the sounds are exactly the same. The only difference instead of having a bank of four, you have a bank of three. So you can do three effects at a time instead of four. And then, um, and, the, and you have to, uh, there's a, a different way to access the looper. So it's a little, the M9 is for live, it's a little less uh, comfortable to do, to play with, but it's still great. It's, you know, so um, I just have a reverse delay here. Which is, uh, the great thing about it is tap tempo, which is really important. Right. And if you tap tempo enough time, you kind of get it in tempo of what you're playing, you know? Right. It's a little hard to, to figure out in the beginning. And then... On top of it, I just put, I just have this one delay, just just a regular, like a memory man kind of, or whatever, you know. And then the cool thing is I have all this, this um, uh, uh, controller on the side here, the expression, and that's what makes it like double the pedal because when, I, when, when it's down, it just have a certain amount of repeats. Then when it's up, it's got like all this kind of infinite repeats and right. then it's the same thing with every effect like you can do different things with expression so it's almost like on each effect you have two effects yeah. like example for the reverse this is the reverse with the expression down and then if you have the expression up check it out you get this mooga fuger thing weird yeah it's really cool and then the last thing and that's why this is the one effect that I, I only heard on a Line 6 pedal, and that's what I've been using since they started. I could never find anything to replace it. It's, this, it's called um, Sweep Echo, and this is what it sounds. It's a delay that has some phaser on it or something. You see, I it's know. got... And then when you put that with the other delay, and it's all tap tempo, you get this really, really kind of freaky kind of... You get like that U2 yeah. thing, but it's it's a little more psychedelic because you have the, yeah. that phaser on it. Yeah. yeah, play us a little something with that effect. Yeah. And then if you put the reverse with it, it's really cool. That's where you get that real psychedelic stuff. It's 
kind of cool. <laughs> Is that where you were getting the kind of backwards tape sounds? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. And then the other thing that I been doing more recently with this is I just take a regular analog delay here just a regular yeah. analog delay but then instead of you know what the analog delay when you play with a time with your hand yeah. and you get this like because it's changing then, the delay the, time yeah then you can change the delay time with your foot so I can play and I can while I play I can do this with my foot yeah. you know so that's cool Most and then key, there's yeah. a couple other patches here that I use I use that fast tremolo that i used to do on a pedal yeah i have it now on here and of course you also have the uh the, the wonderful kind of uh fuzz tones nasty tone from their fuzz uh, pedal. octavia yeah i think it's it a hendrix octavia. dunlop yeah well now i don't play loud i'm playing into a fender amp so it sounds kind of a little too buzzy but usually if i play loud yeah. you, you lose the buzz and then It's basically that that uh, band of gypsy sound, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the thing about this pedal that I like is um when you turn a volume on your guitar, you can get all these really cool sounds just by, you know, this is this is all the way up. And when you start turning it down, it's very expressive, kind of. Yeah. It's got its kind of sitar. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a little bit sitar, like you said. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like that. And then you get the nice roto vibe sound, but that's not a roto vibe pedal. It's a mojo vibe. What is that? No, it's a roto. It's called a roto oh. sim. It's DLS. It's just like a Leslie simulator. You know. I was looking at that other pedal. Well, oh, you're looking at the the mojo vibe is the uni vibe. The roto sim is that, you know, like the the Leslie kind of sound. Yeah. kind of organ thing uh, yeah and the univibe is the mojo vibe that hendrix kind of thing who makes that that's uh sweet sound sweet sound yeah it is sweet sound. yeah it's cool they have a big one that i have on my bigger board but it's they're both great and when do you actually kick in the memory man, which takes up the most real estate on your whole pedal board? Yeah, you know, it's a problematic pedal every time you travel with it. A lot of times it breaks and stuff. I don't know. It's But it's just such got such a vibe that's irreplaceable. So you get it for the lush, like more lush kind of long kind of delay. Not long delays, but kind of more big echo, you know? Yeah. You know, it's just like for ballads or stuff that you need a bigger... Sound. So, it's interesting to me because you have the M9 that does a million things and yeah. a million different delays, but yet you're willing to travel with this giant Memory Man pedal for that one delay sound. Well, you know, I use the M9 more for like pyrotechnics, yeah. and I use I have I have I have a a DD7 a Boss DD7 that's on all the time. That's like my reverb. It's the slab delay. It's this thing. Well, yeah. I can't even really hear it with the amp reverb. Yeah. A little bit. You hear like pluck yeah. pluck. There it is. Yeah, you heard. 
Yeah. So that's my reverb. Really. I usually, not here on this amp, I have a little bit of reverb. Usually I don't play with a yeah. reverb. So that's always on. And then when I play solos, just when I usually play a solo, if I need a little more depth, I have another DD7 that I just have one repeat. It's like pom pong. And that just gives it a, lot, a little more depth. And then when I want a lot of depth, I use the memory man. It's hard to yeah. hear. Like I have to play loud and you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, no, but it's just, it. that's like, that's like my sounds, you know, my normal yeah. sounds when I plan all the pyrotechnics is coming out of the M9. Yeah, the Line 6 action. Yeah, the Line 6 action. That's pretty much what it is. And then that's I have cool. the looper there and stuff like that. So, because I do everything live. Yeah. It's so it's all it's very comfortable. It's all in front of you. Can you show us a little bit of how you would use a looper? Uh, well, there's a gazillion ways where I can what I can do it. It kind of depends on the songs that I play. So like, you would use it over a groove, actually. Yeah, I've with used the band. It. Yeah, I, I can show you some. Like I can give me a can, groove. Give me a groove to play. I want to see how you use it. Like a, just play D minor, D minor into G7, like. So that's like. Let's say I'll solo on it. And then at some point, if I want to get into some vibe, I'll start playing some rhythmical thing. Like, keep going. So now I loop that. Now, check it out. If I. What I do usually is I double time it and I reverse it. And if we play it, let's say I keep the solo. And then I'll kick it in. You know? And so that's one version of it. That's <laughs> it. And then another version of it could be even cooler. It's without a reverse, just double time. Check it out. That's kind of cool. And then you can do it half time, reverse. Wow. So basically, live, I have three different loops just out of one. Badass. Yeah, it's totally cool. And then, so that's like more of a rhythmical thing. And then, then there's the usual stuff where you can do like textural stuff where you just, you know, like play, I don't know, an E. You just kind of vamp some stuff. I don't know. And you just vamp some long notes. Just vamp that, and then you kind of put maybe something low with a fuzz or something. I don't know. So that's kind of like a thing. That's like a thing, and then you reverse it. Check that's it out. beautiful. So then, then you reverse it. It sounds a little more like a pad. And then another thing that I do that I really like is. Um, I can play this kind of stuff, check it out, like, I do sometimes this live where I play, randomly I'll play. So then if you double time it, it's really cool, check it out. And wow. I, yeah, and then you can reverse that, and you get this. It's really, it's like you can do like three things at once all the time. It's kind of cool, isn't it? So that's another way of looping. 
Do you just yeah. sit at home and experiment with pedals no. and come up with all the stuff? I no, mean, I don't. How did you discover all this stuff? So when I put playing live. Really? A lot of times I discover it from making mistakes playing live. I'm serious. This is, yeah. not, this is not a joke. Right. This is for real. Because I play live a lot. And I have concepts. Like, let's say when I play live, I have a concept of what I would like to do. Like, I would like to create a pad or I'd like to create, like, some fast rhythm stuff. But what usually happens when you play live, I do it all live in real time. So a lot of times your foot wouldn't hit the right thing or you play something a little different. And then at the beginning, you go like, oh, what the hell? This sounds weird. But that's how you get all this, like, those mistakes kind of get you to those places. You know what I mean? Like, that fast tremolo, that thing that I do, you know, that was a mistake playing live i remember when it happened in japan where i my i kicked the my tremolo pedal with my foot all the way up and i was playing a rhythm and suddenly i hit it and i was like oh what the hell is this it's not schizophrenic which song do you use it a lot on i use it on schizophrenic, schizophrenic? a lot okay. yeah there's a few of that i use it all you know even on my last record on on uh i did a version uh, not my on the twisted blues volume two i did a version of a freedom jazz then so yeah you know what I mean? It's like you yeah. play. It's like keep a that f- going for a second. Three, four. And then sometimes I'll add some delights it. to it. It's kind of cool. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I do a lot of it. It's hard for me to do it like that. I do a lot yeah. of it in the moment when I play live and then yeah. I start pushing the pedals. And so a lot of yeah. those mistakes created a lot of those sounds, you know? We always wonder the rest of the country, what's it like being a working guitar player in New York? Are you uh, hopping in cabs? You bring your amp places? Well, um, carry all that gear around. I know you don't have a car. I, I don't have a car. New York is weird with that. You know, when I play live... When I play my band, I have my big rig, my big amps and stuff with a cartridge guy, and he brings it with me. And uh, we, and if I do like big sessions, he'll bring my gear and we'll go places. That's an abnormal uh, abnormality in New York because a lot of people, because it's such a weird kind of small village in a way, you know, a lot of people will just go with a little amp to a session, which I personally don't dig that. But, um, yeah. you know... But, you know, if I have to do some recordings, then usually I just have my guy come and picks me up with take my boards and my guitars and my, some amps, and that's it. Then when you play live, it depends. I, um, again, if I play my own band and I have my cartridge guy comes over, I usually bring two, one to two guitars and one amp. That's it on my pedal board. Yeah. Um, there are situations where you need to just come and play. Then... I have a small pedal board and I bring a guitar or I bring an amp, like a smaller amp and a guitar, you know what I mean? But you yeah. can't, there's only some, you can't really schlep too much on your own in cabs in New York, you know what I mean? It's just right. not, it's just not cool, you know? It's just like you can't really do much. So, but it's cool. You can do, you know, like yeah. if you do jingles or like to like work like that or, or TV or stuff that doesn't require a lot of gear, then it's not a problem. So do you still uh, have the weekly gig going? Or? Yeah, when I'm in New York, I do. Yeah, the Monday nights are the bitter end. I've, I've been doing it. I calculated it. The other, the other, the other, a couple of months ago, the, the owner, the guy that used to book all this stuff, passed away, unfortunately. And he was a very, very important guy in the New York scene because he, he gave everybody their first chance, like from 
Gavin DeGraw to Lady Gaga to Avril Lavigne to everybody played that club and even Weather Report and Bob Dylan and really? it's like a historical place Joni Mitchell what was his name? well the bitter the club is the bitter yeah. end and Kenny Gorka was the guy that so he he was Kenny kind Gorka. of the guy that gave everybody their first gig in New York so he gave me this gig when I moved to New York almost 20 years ago and I used to do it once a month and then when I decided to make a record I recorded there my first record alive was live was recorded there with like a d88 machine you know eight track yeah. and then after that I started to do a steady Monday so from 2002 till now I've been doing every, most Mondays when I'm there which I calculated uh, to be like over <laughs> 600 shows there or something or 800 some weird wow. yeah because when he passed away there was a big like memorial thing and everybody was playing and talking i kind of did a calculation i was like well i played there for like 15 years and i played like maybe i don't know nine months out of the year it ends up being like a f f maybe 700 gigs or something Amazing, but that's how man. i developed my whole band my whole music that's if i didn't have that place i would not make records right it's period amazing. yeah well, cheers to kenny yeah i know it's the best what was the first effect pedal you got? You're the oh, effects yeah. king. Do you remember your first pedal? I wasn't an effect king till I started to do my band in New York. That's all yeah. when it started, you know? Um, yeah, I got... Um, I remember the first three. I, one of them I had till recently, actually. I remember the first one was an MXR Distortion. I got, that was my first pedal, Distortion Plus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we must be the same and age. And then I think I had an, uh, 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 the DOD distortion, the yellow one. That was the great sounding distortion. And then I had, um, uh, what was the other one? I had an Ibanez compressor that I really, really liked. Actually, till recently I had it. And then, yeah. oh, I know what it is. My yeah. uncle went to Japan and brought me an Ibanez compressor and an Ibanez delay modulation. And I had those actually till recently. I had them. Yeah. Would you sell them or something? <laughs> eventually, I did. Eventually, I think I did because it was sitting in my closet for so many years. And I kind of like the way they sound. But, yeah, you know, now gonna... there's other stuff. If, you don't, if I don't use stuff for that long, I might as well. And it wasn't, right. they, they wouldn't even, they weren't even worth anything. I just kind of, you right. know, and it's... Now you said, what was your first gig? Because I know you got some pretty pro stuff happening pretty young. Well, what it was is um, I started to play when I was 10. And then by the age of 13, I was starting to get professional. Like I remember the first recording session I did was when I was 13. And then I had a band, like a kind of a rock band in my city where I grew up. And then one of the guys that was like the musical director had a, had a studio so then I started to do recordings. And actually, funny enough, the guys that were doing recordings with me was this drummer named Nir Z. He's a pretty popular session drummer. He used to be in New York. Now he lives in Nashville. And he was recorded. He was a few years older than me. He played on the first John Mayer record. And he plays on a lot of records. A really good drummer. Cool. So we did recordings. And then another guy was, um, he's a guy named Tal, Tal Hertzberg that became a pretty big... Um, um, he's a baseball, a really good baseball. He worked with Ron Fair on a lot of super pop stuff like Christine Aguilera and stuff like that here in LA. And so he passed away, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. But that was those were my first sessions. I was like, I think I was 14 or 15. They were like 17, 18. And we used to do those sessions in my town. And then after that, 
I got into playing with, I started to, when I was 16, I started to work like real professionally with famous singers there. So from the age of 16 till 24, I was working there doing like pop and rock gigs with like famous, famous ish. Yeah, actually famous, you know, like singer songwriters there. And at the same time, I would play jazz. You know, I have jazz gigs and stuff. I study jazz. Right. I used to play a lot of a lot of the bebop. Uh, you know what? Actually, what happened was, I got, I got hip to. It was in the eighties, so I got hip to. You know, it was when Pat Metheny had the 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 Pat Metheny group was really big, and Schofield was doing like uh, uh, like Blue yeah. Matters and all this electric fusion stuff, and then Electric Band came out with Scott Henderson. Yeah. So all that stuff really flipped me out, and I wanted to play like that. And then I went to my guitar teacher and he, she played me Holtzwort and I was completely freaking out. <laughs> I still am. But, but then I, I told him, I was like, hey, man, I want to play like that. He goes like, well, okay, if you want to do that, then you have to study the roots, which is jazz. So he taught me, this, the, he taught me like the basics of jazz theory and stuff. And then I was still not really sounding any good. So I I was lucky enough, there was a guy that just came from New York that lived in New York for like 20 years. He was a bass player that used to play with Barry Harris. He's a famous bebop jazz player. And he taught me the Barry Harris system, which is like apparently what Bird, Charlie Parker, and all those guys were kind of how they were thinking. So he got me heavily into bebop. And then I became like a pretty much like a Wes Montgomery clone for a couple of years. Now show me a little bit of the Barry Harris system if you can. Like, well, the the Barry Harris system, it's hard to show because it's a whole thing we got to yeah. study. But but um, it's very simple, actually. It actually simplifies things. The main thing that I can show you from that is um, the way Barry looks at things is if you have a 2-5, mm-hmm. like if you have D minor into G7 into one into c major then i know a lot of people at those who school will go like on the d minor they will play a d minor dorian or something like that and on the g7 they will play a g7 mixolydian with the barry harris system you you think about the two as the extension of the five so basically if you play a d minor i'll play g mixolydian and if you play a g7 i still play g mixolydian so it kind of makes it, it simplified things yeah to the point where you can, so that, that's the way I still look at things. Like if I have a two five, I always look at it as a dominant. I look at a lot of things as dominant. Yeah. And yeah. Pe- just to give you uh, the other side of it is Pat Martino does the exact opposite. It looks at everything as minor. So for Pat Martino, for Pat Martino, D minor to G seven is some kind of a minor scale, like a D minor, minor. Um, I don't know, like melodic minor, for example. What do you do for the? Alter dominant in the Barry Harris system. Uh, you play an altered scale so, or a diminished scale so or a halton scale. Then you are using two scales. No, 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 no. So you would play I, it over I the, you play play it over the two or, as well. Absolutely. Alter. Yeah, sounds nice. Yeah. Or oh, I play a whole tone over it. Do it again. Yeah, yeah. Or diminished scale, same thing. See, I don't really think about the two. It's like a dominant yeah. for me. So that's the major thing about like that's the major thing about like his system. There's a couple other things about yeah. it. I gotta say now, now that I grew up and I'm a little smarter, that it it really fits bebop. When it gets to more modern harmony, it's uh, it's not quite. It, it's it's a little right. harder to uh, apply. But but it, it, so that's kind of. 
that's how I studied jazz, really. You know, that's and cool. and then I got into West Montgomery pretty heavily. I used to be, I used to play for like maybe three years with my thumb. Like, <laughs> you're kidding? No, I used to play also. I used to know all this stuff. I used to play solos by heart from the record. all that stuff i used to play full west montgomery records with the solos by heart i would put the record yeah. and play it's amazing because you're just on this solid body strap but you really are getting the west tone right but there but i used to play on a hollow body for years yo i can only imagine how sweet it sounds on a, on no, a it's on like, l5 or I, I didn't like it i i always I, actually the funny story you know how i got rid of my whole hollow body guitar is um when I was playing in Israel, I never liked the tone of it, but I was like, oh, if you play jazz, you have to do it. So I had this like L5 Epiphone guitar that kind of sucked, and I played all this West stuff yeah. on it, and then I got a 175, and I, I got a nice tone out of it, but I never really liked it. It was, never, it was kind of going against what I wanted to do, and I remember when I moved to New York, I brought that guitar and my Strat, and I started to go to jam sessions at Smalls, it's mm -hmm. a jazz club still mm -hmm. around. Yeah. And, you know, the best I got would be like I would sound like a weak version of like Peter Bernstein or like uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel, those guys. I just didn't have that sound. And then I started to play with Gavin DeGraw. I was actually, when he got discovered, I was playing with him like straight. Before I had my bitter end gig, I was playing with him every Monday night, me and him, till he got signed and then after a little bit. Um, so at some point I needed an acoustic guitar so I just traded my 175 for an acoustic guitar, which is till this day the best, the smartest thing I've ever did. Because once I got rid of the hollow body guitar, it was just the Strat. And I was like, all right, so that's my voice and I'm going to play everything I play, whether it's a standard or my own music or anything on a, on a solid body guitar. And at the yeah. time, it wasn't that acceptable. You know, it was, but now you can see a lot of people play solid body guitars or very thin jazz body guitars that it's totally cool but at the time it wasn't that cool you know to play standards on a solid body yeah yeah so it was it was yeah. a little bit of but but i was i was really happy that i did it till today i'm happy i did it <laughs> it's just a different kind of tone i don't know but 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 there's a there's a bunch of guys now like jazz guys that are younger that that do play you know like uh, solid body guitars and they get a really nice jazz tone out of it but it's solid body hey man it's all in the fingers like you really, you are getting a fat sound with your thumb there, whether you'll admit it or not. Yeah. It sounded <laughs> no. like, well, but that's because it's a thumb, you know? <laughs> now you, you, I don't know if you wanted to go here, but you had once mentioned, I think about, this is a phenomenon that happens to a lot of artists where you play with an artist for a long time and you help them arrange or you arrange the guitar parts or create yeah, parts. Yeah. They get signed, they take those demos, and then someone else oh, yeah, big time. tracks all your parts in another city or something that you created. Did yeah, that but you know what the thing about it is? When, you know, when uh, I can tell the story, and, and it happened to all friends of mine that were, most of them were in the same situation, and I was actually on the other side also. What happened is you start with an artist, like I played with Gavin DeGraw, and you start with him, and you play with him every week, so you create all these parts on his songs and then he gets signed and actually what happened with him was when he gets signed we used to do those shows at a place called joe's pub in new york it's a really nice venue and, and clive davis used to bring a truck at the time you brought a truck with Tools rig 
and wow. he would record the session the the gigs and then of course what happens when you rec- when you get signed you go to LA to make a record so you <laughs> use an LA producer and a LA producer bring his own people so then a lot of the stuff was copied from the stuff that we used to do in New yeah. York at the time I was really dark about it I was young but I was in the exact same situation from the opposite side where I did a session for a, a New York producer and there was some demos and the guy, oh, can you copy this from the demo? You know, so that's the business. Yeah, that's it's what like, happens. Yeah, and that's, I don't care about it anymore now, but yeah. It, yeah. you have to kind of be aware that that's the kind of nature of the business. Are there a lot of big sessions in New York now for big albums and stuff? Or is it more LA? LA? I think it's New York is kind of, I don't sound dark, but New York is kind of not what it used to be at all. So the big pop scene and including country, of course, would be Nashville and LA, correct? Yes. The only thing that's really happening in New York, and I say it with tears in my eyes, literally, is Broadway. That's what's left in New York. It's really sad. You know, there's still occasional sessions and stuff like that, but there used to be a lot, lot, lot more of it. You know what I mean? And there used to be a lot more clubs and stuff. It's kind of becoming like a rich colony, you know? So all the artists, they just get kicked out of there. Just like San Francisco right now. I guess. I guess. It happens in a lot of cities. But New York, in New York, it's like, um, it's pretty noticeable. Like, musicians really feel it. Like, the fact that... I don't have anything against Broadway as a way of work. You know, if you want to work and make money and stuff, then great. And it's like going to the office. It doesn't have a lot to do with music. Like you have to have certain skills, but it's not a music. It's just like a, it's going to the office and doing the same thing every night. So if you're in that state of mind, then it's cool and you want to make the money. So that's what's left, like the creative part and 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 more like singer songwriter stuff or other stuff shrank tremendously there's still jazz gigs but it's everything shrunk well then you just came from austin yesterday what what gig were you doing out there i just like play there once or twice a year i go and uh i play um i play with uh chris layton is there the drummer from double trouble and roscoe beck is there so they played on my the twisted bulls volume one and volume two they planned on those records for for me now do you think there's a cool scene in austin i don't know much about austin because i've been going there for years and i recorded there with eric johnson a couple of things and stuff so the only reason i go there is because there's one or two clubs that i play that are great and i love playing with those guys so i can just fly there have a good friend of mine there i can hang with eric and my friend and chris and roscoe and those guys and i just do this gig you know let's play one of the songs one of your uh twisted blues tunes it's such a cool thing you got going the way you uh take sometimes it's 12 bars sometimes it's not yeah <laughs> you just mess well, with the it. whole idea of twisted blues was to twist the blues yeah it's like <laughs> mutated yeah like so, for example maybe let's try a sissy strut a lot of people know that song and oh yeah the, I, well sissy strut sissy strut i just moved i just yeah. moved the the lines a little bit it's still yeah, who said you could do that oz you think you can just go around moving the middle of the song to a totally different key well i'll tell you one thing I, on both of my volume <laughs> one and volume two alan Toussaint played piano on those records wow and he's the one that produced sissy strut and they used oh, to be really yeah he produced the, he the produced meters some yeah, of the meters course. records yeah of course so cool. he gave me the okay because i played him this stuff he goes oh it's great <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just giving you a hard time. It's it is cool. He you actually mean, actually fun enough. I we haven't done it in a while, but when I was doing 
all these twisted bullets volume one and volume two i was playing the bitter end and a lot of the times when he was in town he would come and play with us there's some videos on youtube of us doing stuff and we played sissy strut with him with in that kind of way and he likes that kind of stuff he's totally into it <laughs> well yeah after playing it 10 million times the other way yeah so i don't know if some of the meter guys will meters guys will like it but i don't know hey man they like the uh, royalties <laughs> yeah well yeah Whatever so uh, yeah so i can play it if you you yeah. know actually if you just hold the uh, like a. Uh, I can explain what it is. I kind of remember it, but you know, let's, oh, give, yeah. it, let's, let's give it a shot. Yeah, one, two, three, uh. Solos on a C7. I'm playing the the main A section, but I don't know what you're doing. You guys like, is it still in four? Or are you chopping it's it up? It's in four. Yes, it is. But it feels like you're. It feels like it's kind of like one because I, I seven don't know bar phrase and then a nine bar phrase. I don't know what it is. I never. I never. It's in four four. Yeah. Actually, to be totally honest, a lot of my music is in four four. I don't like odd times. People think I like odd times and all these complicated rhythms. I don't not, do not like it at all. Uh, so if you listen to my records. Most of the solo sections are in 4-4, four, four, and the only thing about my compositions that's there's like little twists and turns 
around like you know at end yeah. of bars and stuff like that so sometimes it's going to be uneven amount of bars but and there's going to be maybe a bar or three somewhere but it's only in the heads you know what i mean so when i play it's it's kind of like the same as this you know like the head was twisted a little bit like one of the lines moved a little bit over the bar line or something yeah. so it has a feeling that it's odd time but it's really not it's just in four four yeah. it's just like got that twist well i had a feeling it was still in four but clearly the first phrase drops something out and then the yeah, second I don't know phrase adds something back yeah i don't know what it is i you can look at the chart yeah. and tell me what it is it's I just more fun not to know and just play yeah and you know yeah, yeah. so that kind of applies to everything i do with my music i i never tried to make it complicated it's just kind of but i try to give it some spice you know what i mean and that's kind of yeah. how i hear it but it's never about odd odd, odd time or odd rhythms I, I don't like that stuff now, before I forget, I want to talk about real quickly, what are, the, what are your amps you're using nowadays? Because you've... Oh, yeah, got... yeah. Well, um, I've been using the last couple of years, I've been using Turox, which I love. It's a very California amp. amp for a New York cat. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it actually took me a minute with them because I got hooked up with them maybe five years ago or more. I can't remember. And I tried a bunch of stuff and it was all really, really good but not quite right for me. And then I did a tour in the West Coast. They're in San Francisco, around San Francisco Bay Area. So yep. they brought me some amps and I even did some video shoots with them. And the guy that designed the amps came and he was like, what do you think? And I was like, well, it's really good, but it's not there for me. You know, I mean, it's just not exactly what I'm looking for. And he kind of got bummed. He goes like, let me take you to our offices. You know, so we went to the factory where they have everything. And he pulled up every Turok amp that he had. And I played everything. And I was like, yeah, but not quite. And then he says like, okay, hold on one second. And he brought from his personal collection, he brought a, 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 a Turok that he made a copy of Robin Ford's Dumble. And he made a copy of, uh, of Stevie Ray Vaughan's uh, uh, the Dumble. I forget the name of it. Right. But he and played those, that on like the first and, album or yeah, so and those two were the best amps I've ever played in my life. So I told the guy, okay, this is what I want. So they didn't exactly build me one, but they had this model called um, uh, Game Master 100, and it was pretty close to what I wanted. And then one of the, I have two of them. One of them, I changed something. There was this, it's slightly modified, and that's the one I have in New York. And the other one is funny. It's actually I have it on the West Coast. I have it here in LA. It's, I did some stuff in Nashville and I asked them to send me one and they sent me this blonde one that just sounded unbelievable and it had different speakers also. And everybody was, uh, Brent Mason was playing with me that night and everybody goes like, wow, what is this amp? And I was like, yeah, they're not getting it back. <laughs> so so I used the, I've been using those mainly yeah. and then I have an old Marshall that I use if I play a Les Paul, stuff like that, I like that. And then I have an um, old Super for some stuff. That, that's pretty yeah. much it. And actually, when I play jazz, if I need something with less power, I use them. Um, I have a um, Victoria Bassman that I really, really like. Yeah, those are great. 410. Yeah, so that if I play like a 55 bar in New York, like it's a smaller kind of jazz club, then it's a good size amp for that. Well, that's amazing, man. You got a nice little uh, Noah's Ark full of cool amps there. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you know, they all end up sounding the same to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's true that's because yeah because you know yesterday i was but you know i came from austin 
and we played in Austin yesterday and Eric Eric Johnson came and sat in and played with us and I was talking to Eric after that and he had I had this like custom shop guitar and he has this 54 and we, he was playing through two deluxes and I was playing through a Marshall and it's none of it was our rig you know what I mean but we were playing through it and we were talking about it it was like we got like any guitar we're gonna play anywhere, plug anywhere it's just gonna end up sounding the same <laughs> Well, yeah, your fingers and then your ears dial it in. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. But that's just so cool that I know Eric is on uh, Twisted Blues. Volume 2 and Volume volume 1. Both volumes. Okay, cool. And that's just cool that he shows up at gigs. Do people know he's coming too with you? (laughs) No, it's like we're... uh, It's like... (laughs) You know, he's just, if he's around, he'll come and jam. It's not a big deal. I don't do it because of him. He's a friend of mine and, you know, it's a good hang. But, you know, if he's around, he'll come and play. It's not like an announced kind of thing. It's just like, you know. Well, that certainly qualifies as an only in Austin kind of a thing. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, know, he did it in New York also. So whenever, you know... Sometimes he played with me at the bitter end. Was he playing stereo through those two deluxes or something? Yeah. Bring like a stereo but, paddle but, board or something. Yeah, but I'll tell you, when he played with me in New York, he said in one time he was in New York. I called him. I was like, "Hey, you want to come and play?" I go like, "Sure." So he only brought he brought his signature Strat and a fuzz face. His signature fuzz face. I brought him one of. I had a. I have this bandmaster, really nice old bandmaster with a cabinet, and uh, he told me just bring me a delay pedal. I brought him a DD7. He just plugged into that. He sounded exactly. He had exact. He sounded exactly like his tone. Well, the fuzz face is a really big part of his lead sound, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even his clean sound sounded exactly like yeah. his. Anything. It wasn't stereo or anything. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. You got quite some friends. Does Chris Layton Chris Late never tell you any uh, good Steve Ray Vaughan insights? Or? He told me a lot, a lot of stuff. I always talk to him about this stuff because it's such a big part of my. He told me so many things. Like um, I heard a lot, a lot of. Stevie Ray Vaughan stories not only from him because he played with me and then Reese Winans the keyboard player for Stevie played with me also so and Roscoe also and Eric they're all it's all they all grew up together it's the whole scene so I heard of many 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 Stevie Ray Vaughan stories such as well the one that I heard that was actually not from Chris well the one that I heard from Chris was the night that the day that or the day or the night that Stevie Ray died, they finished the gig and Stevie came to Chris and he hugged him. He told him, "You know, I love you." And Chris came like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, whatever." And he goes like, "No, no, I really do." And Chris went like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever." And then he went on the helicopter and and died. But the other story that I heard, which was wasn't it wasn't from Chris, but was from um, a photographer that I did a photo shoot with. I forgot his name, but he filmed he photoshoot all the Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jeff Beck, the, all that tour and all that stuff that we know from guitar players, all those photos are him. And he was very close to Stevie. And he told me that this whole, the, the whole couple of weeks before Stevie died, he knew that he was going to die and he was talking about it pretty openly. And actually that guy, that mm-hmm. photographer, was the last guy that walked him to the, to the, to the, to the helicopter. Was he a California photographer or? Yeah, he lives in Vegas. I forgot. I forgot. I don't remember his okay. name. Yeah, but he, if you look at that famous photo of Stevie and Jeff Beck, remember he was on the cover of Guitar Player? That's him. A lot of the, he, he filmed a lot, of, he photographed a lot of Hendrix also, but he did all the Stevie Ray Vaughan photos. A lot of, most of it is him. A lot of the Jeff Beck stuff, it's him. So he was pretty close. Right. Close. Um, so yeah, I, that's the the thing that kind of struck me the most is those two stories. I heard a lot of other stuff. 
Like, what about, say, when they were on stage and playing-wise? And I just, re re I, from every time, from just talking to Chris about this stuff, he sounded a little unhuman, you know? He had this other thing going on, like, that was... I think he had something where he couldn't feel pain or something, because he would play, like, you know, physically what he was doing. It was insane, you know? He had, like, really high action, and he was playing so hard and, and so really loud. really thick strings. Yeah, and so loud. I think he had some other energy going in his body. Chris told me that one time he was playing, it was burning so much that he was looking at him and it looked like sparks or like fire are coming out of his guitar. He was like, what are those? Yeah. Wow. If anyone could have sparks coming off. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's see. amazing, man. It's just like it's the power. So, yeah, but... Um, it's really cool to be around those guys, you know, and to play with them is great because it's exactly that sound that I always kind of liked and grew up on, you know. Well, show us another one of your twisted blueses. What are one of your favorite ones to play? I don't know if we can play this together, but the one thing that I'm most proud of is actually when I win, I just, just like to show you the link yeah. that I'm talking about with Wes Montgomery and what I do is I just play the twisted blues by Wes Montgomery. It's this tune. That's my favorite Western. So, so these are the changes. So I have a tune called Twisted Blues. My whole series of records called Twisted yeah. Blues. But I, for years, I wanted to write a song over this form. And Twisted Blues, my tune is over. It's kind of a abstract version of this um, song so right. I can kind of play them together chicken and my tune is it's the same changes go to the four which wasn't in but the B part now check it out that's the West thing and then the B part one two and it's the same as West West thing is a same chords so that's like what i'm kind of most proud of in uh, my twisted cool. blues series it's just that i was able to um get that form and make my own another thing that I actually did that i really um there's a tune called hold on blues it's just a shuffle but it's in a hold on scale so it's this thing i remember that one and then it goes to a hold on hold on so that's like wow. and then it goes to a head whatever so that's another one that i'm happy with and then there's another song that it's hard to play without a drummer but as if you check out a uh, twisted blues volume two there's a song called come uh, let me make your love come down which is 
the riff on that song is a Stevie Wonder riff. And I took that riff and I made it a 6-4 blues, which is kind of very odd. And it's got that Chris Layton plays on it. And he plays that um, groove from, um, it's like a very typical kind of groove that he played with Stevie and some stuff. Yeah, so there's a couple of things I was really able to mix, like jazz and and blues in like a kind of authentic way, I guess, you know. Is that a Stevie Wonder song or just a riff? It's a riff. And then what I, riff is it from Stevie it's, Wonder? It's, 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 it's the name of the song, Come okay. Let Me Let Your Love Come Down. And actually, it's a song from his record characters, and Stevie Ray Vaughan and B.B. King plays on that song. That's why I know that song. Uh-huh. It's this thing. It's, if you listen, he plays it fast. It's it. And then he sings on it. So that's the riff, and what I made out of it, I made it a little slower, and it's, I basically made like a 6-4 blues out of it. Well, I, there's a head within yeah. that, but it's like... Yeah. And then there's like stuff that's going on after, but when we improvise, it's actually a 12-bar blues in 6 which I'm kind of proud of just because it's, it's, it doesn't sound like odd time, but then when you play, you go like, oh, yeah. wow, that's different. Well, how does, it, how does the 12-bar cycle work? Show me this whole cycle. I can count it. It's hard to do because yeah. um, it's basically one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yep. Two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's interesting. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. I remember so, when I kind of got on it, which was years ago, I remember playing gigs and people go like, what is this? <laughs> you know, because it's a blues, but it's in 6-4, so you, it's, you, you can't really... Oh, man. Just one time signature few people play in. 6-4. Yeah, but, but it works. And I, I'm really proud of that tune just because I was able to mix two things yeah. together and make it something, you know? I mean, I, you've played with so many people too, even if there were one-offs, I don't even know where to begin, but like it, on your website, it says you work with Sting. Yeah, I've done, uh, well, would, would you tell me what, like, what? No, what no, no, nice? there was, sometimes in New York, you get called to do those, uh, what I did with Sting and a bunch of like Aerosmith and a bunch of Foreigner and all those guys, there's this thing called a Songwriter Hall of Fame. They do it every year in New York. And one year I got lucky to play on the house band. Right. So th- that year, they inducted like Elton John, a bunch of people, and, and uh, Aerosmith and people like and Foreigner. So we play with all those guys, you know. But it's a one-off. Yep. It's great. We freaking, you know, but it's just a one-off, you know what I mean? And I did a bunch, I did a couple other things like that. So I was able to play like one-offs with like, I don't know, Cindy Lauper or like, um, I forgot, but pop people. Yeah. But I never, I haven't, I have never done pop tours. You know, the, the closest I got was the Gavin DeGraw stuff. But Is that something you would do if a pop tour came your way or you really, you seem like you have a lot going on with your solo stuff? I would do it. Uh, well, here's the thing. 
I would do it. It's uh, I don't sound like uh, if the money is right. <laughs> well, I'll of do course, it. yeah. <laughs> you know, if the money is right, I'll do it. And I'm really, I really love song singer songwriters. I really love songs, and I love doing recordings of that kind of stuff. So I'll always do recordings. Tours is if it's the right tour in the right situation. Of course, I'll do it. Yeah, there's a lot of different money out there. Exactly, and a lot of the different money is sometimes there's a lot of sad money that's happening in really big gigs, and I'm not, I'm not into that, you know. Plus, the right. other thing is, uh, you kind of have to have a certain look and and for certain type of gigs, and the other thing is the certain type of gigs that you don't really play for real a lot, you know. And I'm not into that either. Yeah, it's an interesting so, time. Yeah, so you know, I'm into it if somebody calls. But so you're saying New York is not really as happening as it once no, was. No, you're, no. But Turns yet, it. and you're saying when before we turned on the recorder, how much you're getting tired of this New York winters, as I can understand. Someone yes. from Tel Aviv would yeah. feel that way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so when are you just going to bite the bullet and move out to LA? Well, I don't really want to move out here. I just want to become like bi-coastal, and I've been thinking about it for years. And I've done it a few times where I spend winter here but i think this time i'm gonna really try to spend a whole winter here and see if i can make it work um because i like new york still and i have a whole scene there and i don't want to kind of lose what i have there and i really don't yeah. know i love the weather here and i have a lot of fr great friends here and stuff but i don't really know this music scene here i just come here to work usually and go home so i i, I never lived here for a long time my main concern actually is if i can hang with the lifestyle here of the driving and stuff you know? <laughs> I, you know, i'm man i don't know i'll tell you one it's thing it's bad everywhere i've been in yeah. taxis in new york that are worse than any la traffic it's jam true. i've it's ever true. been you're right you're right but but so again i'm i'm not i just want to um, if i'm if i'll be able to get out of and like both or like the best out of both worlds i'll be very yeah. happy plus i just don't want to be there in the winter anymore it's just kind of did it for 20 years i got the idea i'm done <laughs> you got the idea i got the idea i don't need to go through this anymore snow and cold to be totally honest years ago it used to be worth it more because there was more things going on in new york so it was like all right you eat this horrible winter and stuff but you it's kind of you get get gifts get something back but l the last two years it was kind of not worth being there much, you know what I mean? Like you sit at home, it's really cold, there's not much going on like it used to be. So you go like, why am I here? Now tell me, you do have a new live album. What's it called? Asian... It's called Asian <laughs> Twist. Asian Twist. Yeah, it came out, um, what was it, maybe March of 2015? I can't remember. But um, the funny story about it is it was completely unplanned at all. Like what happened, we did a tour on, on uh, September of 2014. We did a tour in Asia, me and Dave Weckl and Etienne Mbappe, bass player from McLaughlin mm -hmm. and Zawanu and people like that. Um, we did a tour in Asia. We played Japan, China, Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, a couple of places. It was like a two weeks long tour. Um, and then um, when we got home, the, the guy from my record company, Abstract Logic, asked me, did you record anything? And I was like, I don't know. But the thing is, Dave Weckl, 
when he plays, he's got this very, really elaborate electronic rig where he mixes his own sound with a mixer and the whole thing. So everything goes through his mixer. And he goes out of the mixer 16 tracks into Pro Tools. And he's done it since I've been playing with him for many years now. He's always been doing it. He records every set through his he own. He doesn't record every set, but <laughs> he records sets, yeah. He probably has like 100 sets of us playing together. That's so hilarious. the funny thing is I called Dave. I was like, hey, man, did you record anything? He was like, yeah. And he had a, he had a MacBook Air. That's all he had. So he, he was basically a Yamaha mixer with everything goes through it into a MacBook Air. Using like Pro Tools or yeah, Pro Tools, and he sent me the he sent me there was three nights that he recorded one in Thailand in Bangkok and two in uh, Shanghai in China, and the performance was really good, and then um, the sound was okay, like was workable. The guitar sound I played those really bad Chinese voxes, but anyhow, he mixed it. We edited a little bit, chose the takes, and he mixed it amazingly well, and it sounds amazingly great for what it was and right. it's a nice live album it's a that's great so cool. like uh that's great man. yeah and it's a really nice live album it's it's probably the best recorded of uh of my playing till today like it's the really? best like it's the best i've recorded versions of tunes that i've done you know so very cool it wasn't planned and it's out it's great I, i'm really proud of it is your stuff on Spotify? I know some of it is, or do you? It not? used to be, and it's not anymore. You, I think I think maybe highs, or you know, maybe that's how no, no. It. The records that are the records that are on Magna Carta, the first four records I did on Magna Carta are on Spotify, and the last three records I did on uh, Abstract Logic, they used to be on Spotify, and now they're not. You're not down. You're not into it. Well, we're trying to see the difference where, for a year because I'm not into. I, I think it's not. Uh, I know it's everybody's doing it, but I, I don't believe in it. Well, they're not doing it to make money. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's pretty much destroying a lot of artists and a lot of what's going on. And um, the guy from the record company is trying to do a year without it and see if they're going to generate. What's that? His name's Shovik, right? Yeah, Shovik. He's trying. Great, great he's guy. trying. Yeah, he's great. So he's trying to see if a year without Spotify would generate more money or less. That's what he's trying to see. If it's gonna at the yeah. end of the year, it's gonna generate less, then he will go back on Spotify. Interesting. Yeah, you yeah. got to experiment. And there's a lot of other cool stuff that Abstract Logic's his label has put out. Who yeah. else is on there right now? McLaughlin is the main guy. Wen Kranz, Jimmy Herring. Um, some great players. Yeah, there's some great stuff there. Um, there's a bunch of other people I forgot, but really good stuff. Wow. Um, I just recorded another album that I'm working on now. Oh, cool! In New York. Yeah. It's like more like a kind of. It's, it's, I can say the name of the record now because it's gonna come out next uh, spring of 2016. It's called "Who Gives a Funk." Nice. Well, and it's uh, very funky. It's like a kind of a mix of funk and R&B. It's almost like and soul. It's almost like a James Brown kind of meet something i don't know well man thanks so much for doing this yeah. today maybe we could uh, take it out on one of your new jams you want to give a little hint preview of what you might be playing one of your licks yeah let me think about it <laughs> from uh <laughs> which, uh which one actually you know this is a cool riff check it out it's c minor to a And it goes, and they check it out. Damn it. It's 
like A to D7. All right, I think I got a little idea of it. Three, four. cool who what's the instrumentation on it i i'm gonna have a horn section on it so there's a horn. actually mm -hmm. fred wesley just played a, tr a trombone solo on it the guy from james Sweet. brown yeah it's cool yeah. it's really really i got a horns so horns the horns on most of the record just like a quartet with guitar bass drums and organ and then a whole horn section dude that's great i got a bunch of like, like bonamassa played on a track already um dwizzle zappa is gonna play randy brecker played um fred wesley played Wow, uh, I don't know who else. Jimmy Herring's supposed to play on some stuff. It's That's cool. Great. It's got it's very funky and simple music. I was kind of trying to keep everything simple. All right, well, yeah, let's try it one more time and stretch out a little bit if you want. Okay, uh, and we'll take uh, it out. Okay, Three, two. four. Take it back. Do you get any weird pedals going on this one or just no, keep really it straight? Not.
Thanks for doing it, brother. All right, good. We're good? So what's the ultimate compliment you could pay a guitar player, like one guitar player to another guitar player? I think the ultimate compliment is not, dude, you sounded amazing, or dude, show me how you played that. I think possibly the ultimate compliment is to go out and kick down some cold hard cash to buy a piece of gear that you saw that player using because you want to get that same magic. That's what I did with this solo. That's me trying to get that sitar sound that Oz showed me how to do years ago by backing off the volume control while going through a fuzz. That's a full tone fuzz, the blue pedal that he used to use. I went out and got the same thing from my buddy Alan Hines, who was selling one. Of course, I did not get the sitar sound that he got. I got something different. But that's the whole point. Imitation is a great form of flattery and imitation with a cash expenditure is an even greater form of flattery. Thank you for listening. So many more podcasts to come. Thanks to Zoom for the H6 recorder that I use to record these interviews. This little ditty that you're listening to, again, is called Tri-Tip, featuring Gretchen Men on the intro harmonics and middle harmonics and ending harmonics. Thanks to Guitar Player Magazine for supporting this podcast. Really appreciate it. Bill Amstutz and Michael Melinda. Adam Johnson for helping me to edit this together. Shout out to Amps and Axes. They do a great guitar podcast too. I love those guys. Check them out. Amps and Axes. See you next week. Keep it alive to 95.